but yeah, it speaks to my not-so-happy sensibilities about uh, storytelling sometimes. Like, sometimes I want to finish a thing, and, like... I also mentioned this on the Fully Cooly episode, that I'm... I'm a... I try as best I can, and to be an earnest and vulnerable individual, individual, and I just... I am a vulnerable person. Um, I don't have a filter that a lot of people have where, like, you shouldn't mention some of these things to people, like, and that was a big part of starting the show, is that I wanted people to be able to gush about the things and be sincere and be vulnerable about the things they really appreciate and really love and not feel, and make it a place free of judgment, um, even though I'm judging you for watching Mind Game. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh... For it to be, <laughs> you know I love you, but we, <laughs> even though uh, everybody else seems to have that, I, I, I don't really have that impulse to pull back a lot of the time. It's it's a very rare instance uh, for me to be like I shouldn't mention this thing, um, or I shouldn't mention, or I should hide my feelings about X and Y, and I think it's something I had to learn. I I. For me, there's this tension of, I don't think... I'm not going to say compartmentalization as a whole is a bad thing, because it's not. Some of it you have to do just to get through the day, and there's some things that you just... You need to keep yourself, and you need to learn how to work through. But also, um, I think people just need to to try and, and be more open and try to be more vulnerable, because... Uh, the only, like, legitimately, like, valuable experiences I've ever had in my life have come from moments of just, of, of being an open wound. And it's fucking, it's terrifying, I get that. Um, but I kind of don't know any other way to be. I, I, I don't know how to operate as a human being without being that way. So I, so I do, or I try to, um... And there's sometimes I may have to step away from a media because I, or this movie or something may strike too close to home because I engage with everything so sincerely and so fully. Um, Something like the beginning of Mind Game especially doesn't set well with me for those reasons. Yeah. Because I uh, I was talking this uh, with... I believe a mutual friend. Uh, do you know? Do you know Sarah Four on Twitch? Um, I think the he pops, name rings a bell. He, I know he pops into glitches chat at least every now and then. Um, but, not, not someone I know well. Sure. Well, he's a he's a buddy of mine, and uh, he does he did uh, the layout for X Water and uh, Grand Pooh Bear um, in the Mario Maker communities and the Mario communities in general on Twitch for anybody who is nebulously aware of that world. You can go see that guy's work there. He has great work. If you need an cool. overlay or any of graphic design stuff done, check him out. He's good. I was talking to him about this, about how uh, I don't know... Like My my empathy levels are at like 11 all the time. And I don't okay. know... I don't know if I'm somewhere on like, like the autism scale... Like range or like if it's just my anxiety or what it is about me as a human being but like my empathy is always cranked way the fuck up um to where like I'll drive through like a poor neighborhood when I was like 
back when I could maintain a job, because right now I'm, I'm disabled and I can't do so. I would have to drive past a poor neighborhood on the way to work, and some mornings I would just, I would start crying in my car driving through there, because the weight of just the poverty, like, hit me. Mm. And I don't say that to be like, oh, look at this dude who's so in touch with his feelings. I'm saying, like, it's a genuine fucking problem <laughs> sometimes, uh, where I just want to, yeah. I just want to live, I would just want to live my life and not have those moments. And then there's sometimes that I can't breach that that barrier where I feel like I need to cry and I can't quite get there and so I have to try and and that's where I turn to media for those things to try and find a way to break that seal and get some catharsis out of a thing um so that's just the kind of person I am I'm I've I try to interact with things very sincerely and very wholeheartedly because I don't really know how to do it another way because of the way I'm wired Sometimes that can lead to a bad time. Do you ever have, like, one of those songs that you keep for, like, when when you need to cry but you can't? You have, like, a song that you go to? Um, 100%. One of them is, uh... I'm gonna lose any amount of cred because it's a pop-punk band. Um, but... Uh... <laughs> But the but I think they're talking about real shit. Uh, the uh, the band is the Wonder Years, and there will inevitably be an episode on that as well because I really appreciate what this band does uh, and speaking up for like marginalized communities as well as uh, just being open about the the frontman Dan Campbell's uh, anxiety issues, and he kind of engages that on in a in a way that I don't think very many other bands like there are there are two this song in particular there are two instances where I think someone has really nailed what anxiety is like. One is mm-hmm. suicidal tendencies, high anxiety, even though that's like an upbeat, like, like I think they really nail what a fucking panic attack is like and what trying to just kind of deal with things is in that song. Um, to give myself a little cred before I say um, this song in particular that I use to breach that for catharsis uh, is often the song... Passing Through a Screen Door, uh, which is on The Greatest Generation, which is their third full length. I'm going to say third because their first one doesn't count. Um, And that song, uh, I'll probably dig into it a little more when we finally get around to that episode, but that one, like, especially... There's a line in that song that uh, comes to a head in the bridge where it drops all pretense of rhyme scheme and, uh, like, tact and delivery... And sometimes that can be really cringy for people, but for me it really worked in that moment, uh, where you have a, a song that's all about anxiety and trying to, like, as soon as you get into a situation, you're looking for a way out. Like, but the line at the end of that bridge, before I get too flustered and can't complete my thought, is, uh, Jesus Christ, I'm 26, did I fuck up? And I was 26 when that song came out. And I had just got out of a really shitty uh, living situation uh, mm. where I was being gaslit by my roommates and my anxiety was the worst it had ever been. Uh, and so the first time I heard that song, I just bawled. And sometimes it still gets to me uh, because I was so close to it and because I am so raw as a, just a human being in general in the way I interact with media. Um, 
So yes, that's that's one of those that I go to if I need to breach that. Uh, their newest record, um, I recently did a stint in the hospital, like where I was uh, hospitalized for most of March um, for my ongoing health issues. That. And uh, they put out their new record at the beginning of April. They put out a few singles beforehand, and there's a lot about hospitals on that record. Uh, there's a lot about like being hooked up to machines and there's a lot and it they're one of those bands that are always delivering a message uh, that seems to mirror my life's trajectory as they're putting out records and there's been a few instances of bands like that uh, whenever I was a teenager uh, the band Amberlynn really kind of struck that chord with me in a lot of ways um, uh, through my early 20s it was bands like The Hold Steady and Circus Survive and then more towards my 30s uh the Wonder Years have kind of taken over that that uh, that piece of my life. Is that band that's always always seems to be speaking to my situation in the moment. Um, do you have any music that does that for you? Uh, that's probably infinitely more yeah. cool and obscure. Oh. <laughs> hey, it's one or the other. Um, it's either cool or obscure. Oh, this is some I, really obscure I, shit. It sucks, but man, nobody's ever heard of it. Oh, oh, I've got that too. No, but uh, but yeah, since we're on the, so the subject, me, yeah, go ahead. For me, the uh, the the song that that does that for me is "I'm Not Dead" by Boy in a Band. Okay. It's just it's such a raw description of depression. Okay. And it's done in this very kind of... It's like this fusion of hip-hop and dubstep and some kind of metal vocal technique. Mm -hmm. A kind of really raw throaty sound and interesting and it's just a very raw and honest description of you know hating everything you make and not hanging out with your friends because you don't want to bring them down and all, all with a lot of hard-hitting beats. Both literal and emotional beats, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. There's there's even, there's this one part where he's talking about how he's good at a lot of things and not great at anything. And then he says, and he says, like, uh, he, you know, he says a, a few things of like, I wish this, I, w- I wish I could do this better, I wish I could do that better. And one of the things he says is, I wish this beat hit a little bit harder. And the beat's hitting really hard right there. And so it kind of it has that feeling of like, I get you, you can't see the good you've done. It's just you know, no matter how hard the beat hits. You always wish it would hit harder. For sure. Uh, to bring um, 
to bring David Bazan back up, there's a uh, there's a song off of, and he's another one that I go to because you could I could just weep for hours to some of his shit. His, he he writes truly, uh, truly moving pieces of music. Uh, and he's another go-to whenever I just need a one of them good cries that you you're talking about. Uh, and that the particular example that has to do with what we're talking about was off of it was a Pedro the Lion record. It's off of Achilles' heel. The fleecing is the name of the song. I had to stop and collect myself. Where he says, uh, "I can't say it like I sing it. I can't sing sing it like I think it." And I can't think it like I feel it. And uh, that idea of things getting like wishing you could translate things properly or make things as good as they possibly could be or really get yourself your point across or make yourself understood, um, which is I which is I think what you're getting at when he says like I wish this beat hit a little bit harder, like he wish he was just he could make it work that much better. Like what you're reaching for, what you're trying to achieve, and what you where you actually get. Um, I don't know if that's expectation management. I don't know how you solve that, but I deal with that. I've dealt with that my entire life as well. I think anybody who creates something does. Um, where I feel I've had what I refer to as a silver trophy complex, because I ended up getting like second place in a lot of art shows growing up. Mm. Where yeah, you're always like, you're almost the best. But no one, no one fucking remembers. Almost like nobody cares. Like if you're not actually the best. I think a lot of people care. We just don't care about them. And I just, I just like, you know, my number one strategy is just trying to trust the audience more than I do. That's hard too. It's like if people say they love it turn off that well yeah not turn off but like try and trust them and more than you know the voice saying oh they're just they're just trying to be nice yeah there's a definite need to apologize i i at least have a a need to apologize when i hear something like that where like i like this thing you did it was a good thing you're gonna be like well i didn't get this part the way i really wanted it and this was rushed and i didn't really uh i didn't I don't know if what I was going for really came across in this moment. Um, I have that urge in particular. Yeah. Uh, whenever I put that, I, I put a comic out last year online, which I am not going to reference here, because for all these reasons, I look at it now and go, man, I wish X, Y, and Z were better conveyed, and I wish these panels weren't so rushed. And um, I remember liking it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I don't believe you because I'm a horrible person, but <laughs> um, because of what we're talking about right now, I'd like to believe you, but those are my self-worth issues talking. I believe that you liked it. It's hard for me to convince that somebody else thought it was good, but I believe that you you enjoyed it, uh, and, and thank you, I guess is what I'm trying to say. See, I'm doing it now. While I'm trying to talk about the thing, I'm... I'm having to backpedal and be like, just say thank you. Just trust that the person fucking liked it. But it's it's weird that your first impulse is to be like, to try and downplay that somehow. Yeah. Or at least mine is, clearly. 
we have gone quite far afield. Oh yeah, we are way off topic. We're way in the weeds. <laughs> this happened. This has happened in every episode I've recorded. But as long as we're getting, uh, as long as as long as we're still getting good shit and things have uh, have evolved organically, I'm perfectly okay with that. And uh, is there anything Just... else that you wanted to uh, talk about? Uh, in terms of YKK. I see chapters 14 and 15 that I have written down here that may have been the beach scene that you were talking about. Um, so, that yeah, that was chapter 15. And I think I got the number wrong. I think it's like eight, chapter 18 that I was actually thinking about. But yeah, that's something I really want to talk about because it kind of ties into... It really captures that feeling of be feeling like you're not a normal person. And, you know, living on the spectrum, it's kind of like there's this feeling of otherness because you don't you don't think the same way other people do, you don't act the same way. You don't mm -hmm. draw the same conclusions. And especially because autistic behavior, is, uh, especially um, the kind of autism that I have, is often described as robotic. Sure. And so this chapter, which I don't actually remember what number it is, is called Historic Musashino. Okay. And um, Kokone is this delivery girl who's a robot, and she delivers the camera to Alpha. And then uh, later on, she comes by just to visit because they get along really well and they become friends. And after she visits, she writes this letter about how the first time they met, she was really impressed by how natural Alpha acted. And uh, after they parted ways, she really worked hard to try to be more human because Alpha had kind of shown her that it was possible for robots to act more human and then the second time they meet, she realizes that she had actually misread what Alpha was doing. And she says, I realized that I need not act in the least human to let my spirit soar. I have found a more comfortable way of living. It is to stop trying to be comfortable. And that really resonated with my own kind of experience of trying to be a normal person. And a very dear friend of mine who is very good at being a complete weirdo and being okay with it. And how they have kind of been that presence for me of not trying to be comfortable as a normal person, but being more of a Mr. Plumbean kind of character of 
I mean, they they actually refer to themselves as a robot, and and it's that kind of thing of I don't need to act quintessentially human. I can be what I am, and I never fully accepted that. But having that beacon of this is a way that you can live is really valuable to me. Yeah, that, um, yeah, dude, I'm a little bit speechless. That's, that's a really valuable thing to take from, uh, from a story like this. That's, uh, especially the owning the robotic thing is, seems really powerful to me. Granted, I'm hearing all this secondhand, but still. And we've only touched on, like, the first two years of a 12-year comic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this was a long... This is a long-running thing. It was, like, 1996 to 2003, I believe. Yeah. Uh, We were talking about nostalgia earlier. Uh, This is probably one of those things that was pretty caught up in nostalgia for you. But, yeah, that's a a hell of a run. 96 to 2003. Um... I was I was only introduced to it in two thousand three. Okay. When it was wrapping up. Ah, uh, that's see, that's pretty cool because then you don't have to sit and wait. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's from kind of the 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 one of the few nostalgic times of my life when I was at my second high school, which was my first high school was like standard American education. Mm-hmm. Which um, you know, if you didn't shudder, then you don't know you what I'm talking you about. If you didn't shudder, you didn't have one. You did not have a standard yeah. American education. And um, which should and then just I went to which should just be in quotes anytime it appears in writing. But go ahead. Um. So so I went from that to an alternative school called Nova, which was. 200 students. Okay. It was structured like a college where you pick your classes and they're all topical. Nice. It was a student government and like all business decisions had to be run through the student government, including hiring. That's super cool. And, you know, it was teachers who were really invested and, like, hadn't been worn down. Mm-hmm. That seems and to be... That seems to be the case with alternative schools in general. Like, they just seem to give a shit. Like, everyone... They're that not, it's because the they don't have the administrator kind of grinding them down. Sure. Uh, my brother went to an alternative school for I think his last or for a few years I think of high school or at least one year and yeah like it was it was incredible how much just people giving a shit can change an educational yeah. system who'd have thought yeah <laughs> and so you know so that was and that was when I started making friends who were as weird as I am and 
started branching out my taste and discovering that there was more to life than they might be giants. I met Victor and Josh and Zoe and Victor, the guy who introduced me to this comic, um, we're actually not speaking anymore, which is really gets me down. Oh, I, I get that. I don't, uh, I have, uh, I tell everyone I have like two friends and that's only slightly hyperbolic. Uh, because there's only yeah. like two people I interact with in real life that I call friends. Like, uh, I mean that in a physical sense. Obviously, we're friends and we're interacting yeah. in real life. But I mean, like, I that I can physically I, be I in the same that. room with each other. Um, yeah. But yeah, none of my high school. I don't keep in touch with any of my high school friends. We had a falling out shortly after high school, which was pretty rough. And then uh, my friend group after that was whenever uh, I told you how that went. <laughs> and that was my living situation that went south there, and that all kind of caved in. Mm. So my support structure kind of fell out from under me back in like 2012 in that regard. And I don't wish I don't wish it on anybody. It's it wasn't fun. Uh, but that's how I I shortly after that I did find Twitch and I found some cool communities on there. I found Glitches Community, and that's where I met you. Uh, I found uh, Tina Hax's community, which did wonders for me, and just seeing how accepting and open a, com- a community can be to people of, of all types. Um, and, and that's the community that I like. I know that I enjoy, and I don't mm-hmm. know why I never go there. <laughs> like, every time I watch her, I enjoy it, and then I don't. I, and I don't know why. <laughs> Because my health is in the state it's in, I haven't been to either of those two. I have not been to Glitch's or to Tina's chat in a large capacity in a long time. I'll pop in every now and then and be like, hey, I love you guys. I'm not dead. I promise. But, like, whenever I do feel like being up and doing things, I feel like I want to be either a little bit more, A, constructive or uh, self-indulgent. And, um... Yeah, I think this podcast is both of those things. Um, I don't know what I'm going to end up calling this thing. Uh, that's still tentative. The working title uh, was a pun on a, a band I do not like at all. Um, w- the working title was Mindful Self-Indulgence. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm glad somebody does. Um, I, I think it works oh, as a mission... <laughs> I, think I had a says, friend who was so into MSI. I, uh, I, and I, I was always like, "Why?" I don't know, man. <clears throat> I, I am not into it. I don't want to yuck in anybody's yum, but, uh, um, but, but yeah, I thought, I thought, a, it's a pun, and I'm, of people who know me, I'm kind of known for really bad puns, and B, I think it's an appropriate mission statement for what I want to do with the show. Of having yeah. people literally have mindful exercises of self-indulgence where they can just kind of gush about a thing they love and why why it's important to them and why they love that thing so much and how it's spoken to them. Yeah. So this thing will inevitably have a name by the time people are hearing this. So if it's not that, that's what it could have been named. Um, <laughs> we might go with that. We might not. We'll see. I want to get a few of these in a tank before I start publishing them and and 
nail down the name on it. That makes sense, yeah. And I think that's something that I don't always get across. And I've been trying to figure out how to talk about it more. When I read something of a certain type or I watch certain videos, Mm -hmm. it makes my body feel good. Like when I read that chapter about the beach and the convenience store, the underwater convenience store, I felt good. Like I felt Mm -hmm. warm all over. And so, you know, when that word indulgence kind of reminded me of, of that, like, You know, something that you do entirely with your eyes and your mind can have such Mm -hmm. a big effect. Yeah, those things are really hard to kind of, uh, like, to pontificate, to, like, really, to really nail down what is happening in those moments sometimes. And again, I don't know if that's just my neuroses speaking and not being able to relate those things properly, but I know what you're talking about, where you have this sort of, uh, you have a meaningful engagement with a piece of media and it resonates with you on that level where like your your body like your body is rewarding you for whatever it is that you're experiencing in that moment whether it's you know flooding you with endorphins for whatever reason it is x y and z uh i don't i don't have a word for it but i know what you're i know what you're talking about and likewise, I've had opposite experiences over this whole uh, being sick thing, where foods will affect me in certain ways, and I can't, I can't explain. Like they're like, "What, what does this thing do to you?" I feel sick. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? I, I, I don't know how to say it better than that. I'm getting a little bit better at nailing some of that stuff down, but sometimes it's just it makes me feel sick, and there's not another word for it. So. Yeah. Likewise, whenever you're reading something and you can engage with it on a level where your brain is just like, yes, give me more of that shit, whatever that shit is, layer it on. Um, those are great moments. And there's... I have this I have this issue with nostalgia, too, where... Um, or what I guess you could call nostalgia, a particular moment in your past where you're... Your body relives those those biological impulses as well. Um, I don't know if anybody else does this or if it's just me. And I don't know how much of that's tied into what people call nostalgia. But I'll definitely have like... You hear a song like from... I'll hear a song from like 2004... And it will put me right back, my body's, my body's chemistry itself, right back into how I felt in those moments where I was hearing that song. And that's wow. just, and just having a body and that does these things, it's just fucking, it's, it's a, it's a hell of a thing. So, I don't know if that's just me or if that's everybody, but that's definitely something that I experience. Yeah, I don't know if I've had anything quite like that, but. So I've much definitely had so much of my uh, media consumption experiences can be like I can 
there can be a direct line there to like I'll hear sometimes it's not even a song that I like or sometimes it's not even like a thing that I enjoy but it will bring back it's so hard to explain um, yeah I didn't mean to cut you off though what were you gonna say you do have something that Oh, I wasn't saying anything. I was just kind of saying I I do have those very visceral reactions to music, but usually not from a nostalgic point of view. I haven't found anybody else who's heard that and been like, yes, yes, dude, totally yes. It's always been, no, I don't know what you're talking about. So, Hmm. I don't know if it's just the people I hang out with or if it's literally something that is that is that unique of an experience. Uh, and it may be tied into my whole, my empathy levels and my, like, I feel everything at 11. It may be tied into all of that, and likely is. But yeah, I think we've talked about just about everything under the sun. And not just Yokohama as a, a manga, but like 50 different topics over the course of this thing. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see what makes it into the final cut. See what I end yeah. up just chopping out wholesale and what sections I leave in. Because we do meander quite a bit. Um, yeah. Man, that bit about... I, and I could easily keep going. Like, Oh yeah, you were saying these are only the first few volumes that you were getting into? Yeah. <laughs> so if there's 12 years worth of that shit, sign me up. That is... <laughs> that sounds like fun. That sounds like a that's something that I want to engage with for a long time if I can get those kind of experiences out of it. Okay, so there's one more thing that I want to talk about, and that's the typhoon. Absolutely. Go ahead. And this is this is kind of a, a spoiler, a, a little bit of a spoiler, but it's a really important emotional thing mm-hmm. that I want to talk about, which is Go for it, dude. I mentioned I, I have I have read this half a dozen times. And in my most recent reading, I got to... There's this scene with a typhoon. Mm-hmm. And the... I mean, th- this, is, this is technically a spoiler, mm-hmm. but for reasons that I'm about to get into, it, it may not actually spoil anything. Sure. Because... So I've read this half a dozen times. Mm -hmm. And so I get to the scene where the typhoon happens and I'm reading through it, you know, and, and she's sitting in the, the, uh, the gas station, listening to the radio, waiting for it to pass. And then it passes. And the next scene is the old man sees she's not at the gas station anymore. And he goes up to her house with the coffee shop. Okay. And I, I don't know if I've conveyed that the coffee shop is like everything is, is like, it's, it's what she does. She is the coffee shop woman. Gotcha. And it's it's kind of uh, a community hub as well. And um and so I'm I'm getting up to it and I know that on the next page the coffee shop has been destroyed by the storm. And I'm like 
I've read this half a dozen times. I know what's coming. I turn the page and I start crying. Damn. And the, the way it's framed is so perfect. It's the old man comes up the hill and you just see the first thing he sees is what you see is Alpha sitting on a lawn chair playing her Getsukin, which is kind of like a banjo that she plays. And and that's that's a whole other thing I could get into, but um but you know, she's sitting in the lawn chair playing it and she's got this kind of blank expression. That that kind of expression that people get when they're playing an instrument of just like concentration. Gotcha. And quietness. And then it cuts to the coffee shop. And it's like when she's sitting out there playing like that, it's like you can kind of tell. And it's it's just it's like it's that element of timing that comic books have together with this, you know, really impactful thing that's happening to the community of the comic. And it was really surprising to me that even though I knew exactly like frame for frame what was going to happen, it still made me cry. There is absolutely there and comics are comics and books uh, have books that are formatted to proper effect are really the only thing that can deliver that sort of experience, that level of anticipation before page turn. Yeah, I think films, films and TV, they can emulate it, but there's something about that. There's that anticipatory moment of, you know, something's about to happen. You spent two pages worth of panels sometimes setting something up. Um, and if you can instill that sense of hesitation in the reader before they turn it, like you're you're doing something right. Um, I've said it about, yeah. I've said it a handful of times already, but it sounds like this guy really knows what he's doing. Um, because that's, those page turns can be a really thing that are a really hard thing to execute as well. Yeah. Especially one that can that on repeat reading can bring those kinds of emotions out of somebody. Yeah. He has yeah, he has this sense of space and time. And I think that kind of ties back into the mono no aware thing of like he has this sense for the pathos of space and time and the kind of the emotionality of location and I'm trying to look for a word other than space and time because I feel like I have this feeling of just like it's like you're in a room and there's stuff in the room but I want to point specifically to the empty space in the room and the 
impression that you get of the way the furniture is arranged and then you know the way that time passes through that room some of that i think is tied up in feng shui but also it sounds like uh just knowing how to utilize positive and negative space effectively i think i'm not getting it quite across because it's it's a more holistic thing that sure that I'm trying to go for of. Sometimes conveying that is is pretty hard. Um, when it's whenever you can convey a sense of space. Again, this may just this may just be me, but um, I tried real hard to get through uh, "House of Leaves" by mm-hmm. Mark Danieluski, and. I couldn't, um, for a number of reasons. For one, the main protagonist is, uh. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, I love that book, but yeah. But yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't read it a second time, because he just got on my nerves. For sure. If it was just more of, like, the, the, the story within the story that he's reading, if it was just that, yeah. it would be fantastic. Um, at least insofar as I read um, which was up until the point where they go to step into. Uh, it has to do with special awareness because there's a there's a that that book plays with that a lot. A special awareness. Yeah. And there's a moment where they go to like they open like a closet, I think it is, and they step inside, and they get a few steps in, and they can feel how there's nothing around them. Like they yeah. can just feel the open space. And, like, that freaked me out so much, I just, I closed the book right then. I was like, nope, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I think when, if you can convey space that way, uh, to where it can really make somebody feel like uh, they're not viewing it, but that they exist in it, you're doing something really Mm -hmm. effective. I don't know if that's what you're getting at, but that's definitely what it brought to mind when you were talking about conveying that that sense of time and space appropriately. Yeah. And this, the sense of time, I was also, I was thinking about um, after the typhoon, she goes on kind of a walkabout mm-hmm. and she says, I'm going away probably for a year and it's a monthly comic. And if I remember correctly, uh, she's gone for 12 issues. Nice. See, that's really cool. That's not something that you see many authors that are published monthly like that taking advantage of. Or if they do, they do it because there's they're in superhero comics and there's some big event happening and they have to get a powerhouse out of the way for a big summer event. But um, utilized in that way is something I'm not terribly familiar with, especially uh, when it comes to Japanese manga. Of being a thing. Usually there's just a time skip in that medium. Usually if it's like we got we there's the androids are coming and we gotta prepare. So we're gonna do two years yeah. and two episodes. <laughs> yeah. Or the planet Namek's about to explode and it's five minutes, but it's actually like twenty fucking episodes. <laughs> yeah. And um pretty near the beginning. Uh, there's these two kids, um, Takihiro and Maki, 
and uh, she mentions to them that um, they're in ships together because she's a robot, so she doesn't age. And she says, I just have to watch everybody else's ships from the shore. But you and Maki are in the same ship. Oh, wow. And... It, it does this thing where, like, as it's getting to the end, the chapter titles start to actually duplicate. And so, at the beginning, there's that chapter that I described is called Everyone's Ships. And then there's another one where she talks about riding her scooter called uh, Elevation One Meter. And then at the end, there's one called Everyone's Ships that is about Maki's daughter... And there's one called Altitude One Meter that's about Takahiro riding uh, Alpha's scooter. Nice. So there's definitely narrative cohesion there. Like there's yeah, it's 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 serving a purpose. Like and it started as a one-off. It started as as a one-shot comic about this robot woman in a a post-apocalyptic global warming place going into town to buy coffee and that's why the the title actually means uh, record of a record of a yokohama shopping trip and then people liked it and they were like hey do you want to turn this into a series and then he kept that feeling of a kind of meditative one-shot going for 12 years. Nice. Do you want to plug any your you're on Twitter or your Twitch channel or anything like that for people to check out? Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash SpriteGuard, and uh, I do game development and um, uh, patient gaming playing games that take a lot of patience and talking about learning and it's a lot of I want to be the guy type stuff where it's like every time in in there it's either like bullet hell or like precision platforming stuff like that and then you do this really cool thing that people should hear about where you just tell stories oh yeah Um, last week what I did was I just I played Skyrim and I just put it on walk and I walked to every city, and I just told stories the whole way. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, SpriteGuard tells some pretty cool stories when he's getting into that stuff. Uh, thanks for coming on, dude. I really appreciate it. Everybody go thanks check out SpriteGuard. Oh, no problem, dude. I really appreciate it. Everybody go check out his Twitch channel. SpriteGuard's a really solid dude. He does some really cool streams, and it's a really chill environment to just kind of hang out in. Um, you can go has trimmed there about uh, his thoughts on Dragon Ball or any other number of things. <laughs> I'm going to have to do a Dragon Ball episode sometime. That's that's another one that uh, I think every yeah. a, a, the everybody, at least every male in our age group probably is familiar with. I, I had not seen it until I uh, spent the last couple of years just sitting down and watching every episode. Really? I'd never seen it before. That is, oh, that's going to be a fun episode. I want to have you back on for that. Um, and 
for your name in particular, and maybe we can do Mushishi together as well. Alright, sounds fun. Yeah, I would love to do more of these. Next time on Mindful Self-Indulgence. Okami is legitimately in my top five Zelda games, and it's not a Zelda game, <laughs> and it was developed by Capcom, but so are the Oracle games, and they're also in that top five, so suck it, listener. <laughs> a Link to the Past is one of my favorite Metroidvanias. Uh, I can see that. No, but I'm only saying that because genre definitions are meaningless. That's true. Uh, you, yeah, you could totally bend over backwards and, and make, mm-hmm. make that definition fit there. I mean, I was at a... I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Uh, it called itself the Roguelike Celebration, but it was like mini conference type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the creators of Rogue stood up on stage and made the claim that Words with Friends is a roguelike. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I mean, it has, you know, permadeath. Um, you can't, like, go back and replay the game. Uh, it has randomization in it. You never get the same set of letters twice. Oh, and, you know, it's ASCII-based artwork. That's true. I mean, you're not wrong. I feel like Author Blues is just crawling out of his skin somewhere right now. (laughs) He just has a sense that somebody is trying to stretch these definitions. 